Will Durant said that India will teach us the tolerance and gentleness of a mature mind, understanding, spirit, and a unifying, pacifying love for all human beings. Welcome to the Dr. Cliff Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a treat in the uh, exam room studio for you today. Uh, I guess you're my second guest in person. Emily was my first. I have uh, uh, I have my friend and teammate and colleague and animal rescuer and traveler to India, which is why I picked that uh, quote by Mr. Will Durant. Uh, my friend, Joanna Kaplan. Thanks for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's get right to this. So you've been to India rescuing animals like I have. Tell me yes. all about it. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, this is, India is my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm so happy to have this chance to talk about it. It's um, okay. Where to start? Um, I guess the animal part. Mm. Um, you know, it's so, you go there and it's just nothing prepares you for India. Like, it's just mind-boggling, that place. It was like a, it was a, a, a blurry of senses, yeah. just overwhelming. The, the noise, the people, the colors. Oh, the smells. The scents. Oh, my, oh my goodness. The tastes and flavors. Like, I remember, so I arrived, I, tra- I was there for a year or nine months, and I first started off traveling with my friend. We went together for a couple of weeks and then we all, we went apart. We separated, but we arrived late at night to Delhi. We, um, took a taxi to where we were staying, the, um, hotel or whatever. And so I didn't really see much of it. And then the next morning, <laughs> I'll never forget walking outside with her. The first time I was holding, squeezing her hand. I was just, I thought I'd arrived on another planet. Like, I don't know what it was, just seeing, you know, there was construction right outside the house and seeing the people working underground, like digging without hard hats, like dust everywhere, you know. I mean, it's, it's, then the cars, the traffic, it's truly, it's mind boggling. And, and, you know, I I don't think I ever really got used to it. Like nothing, you can't really get used to it. You can't really explain it to anybody. It was also my first time in Asia. So I Mm. think that was something as well. Like I'd never seen that part of the world. Um, but the dog part. So, you know, it's like as Canadians, as North Americans, our dogs are all on leashes. You know, they were, they're like our kids. They sleep in our bed sometimes mm-hmm. or, you know, go, we treat them like kids. And there you walk around and you just see dogs. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. And, and, I tried to explain to them, uh, the rescue group people that I was with, why we have no, we don't really have a stray dog problem here in Canada. And I don't know where, what it's like in the sort of deep south, the warm areas of, of the U.S., let's say. But whether it was, you know, I've been to Jamaica, Greece wasn't too bad, but there was a fair number of, of stray dogs, a lot more cats in Greece. Um, but Jamaica and uh, Egypt and India... And these developing, not third world, but developing countries. And I realized a lot of it was the developing side of it, but also the, the temperature, right? Like the, the environment. Because here, if you've got a, a family of stray dogs, first of all, you get a, a, a puppy, a litter of puppies being born. 
every person is going to, I mean, you've already got this sad look on your face. You're going to be like, oh my God, puppies. And you're going to grab them and you're going to find a home for them and you're going to put it up on Facebook and you're going to do everything you can, even if you don't have a dime to find a home for these animals. But let's say you don't. Like, let's say you live in a place like India where there's just a billion people and poverty is like nothing you've ever seen, um, though we should talk about how little they have, but how, how much more they have than some of us spiritually and emotionally and whatnot, connections to their family. But if, if you don't rescue that litter of puppies, they die by the wintertime, right? Like a dog, most dogs aren't going to be able to survive in Toronto in a city. They can't really hunt. And even if they could hunt, there's nothing to hunt. So the cold would kill them. Whereas that's not the case mm -hmm. in uh, in India, um, so they just keep breeding and living and breeding and living and making and a lot more of garbage everywhere. So they have food to eat. Always, yeah. <laughs> like, there's plenty. You know, it's interesting. Like talking about the food, like you know, yeah, the dogs are skinny there, but they're not. You know, they're not dying of starvation. I mean, it's usually hit by car and maggot wounds and things like that. Rabies, obviously, a big problem. One of the things that blew my mind and what uh, Will Durant was talking about as far as the uh, pacifying love for all human beings in that quote, it should be pacifying love for all creatures because the people in India had this spirituality and karma and love for all life. And you would see people that, to me, appeared homeless. And I mean, their home was probably you know, four walls and maybe a roof and, you know, a little fire pit. And they would be begging for food to buy some biscuits for breakfast. And then they'd share it with the stray dog. Like it was the most sad and joyful thing at the same time. And uh, to me, that's what India was, was about, that it was both, it was both, you know, exciting and calming. And it was both incredibly loud on the outside, but on the inside, you become quiet because you think. And, and there's no uh, opposite adjective for the colors. Everything was bright um, and everything was flavorful. But uh, and everybody was nice. Um, but uh, like it's it's uh, uh, it was a pretty amazing place and blew my mind. I always say, too, that it's it's like there's no nothing in between there. It's either amazing or horrifying. Mm. You know, yeah. like I saw some things that were, you know, babies that were apparently stolen that are being used to beg and ask for money, you mm. know, and, and like that's what the, that's what people say, you know, so these things that are, and these dogs walking around with mange, like horrifying mange, mm. you know, and bleeding and like missing you know, limbs, missing limbs. And like, so there's that aspect to it, which is just, it's like, it's so hard to see and then there's the whole other aspect that's just this beautiful, joyful experience. So it's it's a it's a country of extremes for now, sure. Why did you originally go there? Okay, so I I'd always wanted to go to India. It's been a lifelong dream of mine, and I was waiting till I had the time to go. I didn't want to go for two weeks. I didn't want to go for a month. Even I wanted to go and have time to explore and not really have much of an itinerary. So I was with a theater company, theater company, for six years in the States. Um, my visa ran out and I decided not to renew it. And I left the company and I decided to go to India, sort of like a sabbatical. And I made a few arrangements. So I had um, 
a couple loose plans. So I spent one month in Pune. Uh, it's near Mumbai, studying yoga at the Iyengar Institute. And that's how that's how you say it, Pune. Pune. P-U-N-E. That's what they say. P U N E. Pune. Pune. That's how Puna. they say it. Shout out to the uh, animal rescue group, the uh, R E S Q Rescue yeah. C T. I went. So I, I. I. So when was that? Pune. I started. I saw dogs there, and I started just feeding them biscuits. I was like, okay, I'm just going to give them biscuits. And then I realized, well, maybe I could do more. And eventually. I don't know, was it in Pune that I rescued my first dog? At some point, uh, no, I think it was when the next trip I went to, um, when I was near Oroville, uh, further south, that I actually found a dog that was so bad, and I took it in my arms on this little moped I was driving and brought it to a rescue place, like in a, in a backpack. You drove in the traffic of India. Yeah. I, <laughs> when I was there, I had a little, it was f- pure freedom, it, it, like... I didn't go, so I was sort of in the country. Okay. I went down to um, Pondicherry a couple times on my little scooter thing, which was terrifying. But I also, I'm like, I draw, I love driving and it was, I grew up driving in Quebec, so I'm, I don't know. But anyway, it yeah. was oh, the most. Oh, that's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> India, Quebec. No, it isn't. <laughs> but um, I remember, yeah, so I went to go visit the, I was so interested. I went to go visit the rescue, the group in Pune and they had this amazing place. It was just beautiful. I went for just a quick visit. Anyway, they they do incredible work. So it's it's being done. Like there are something I wanted to say was that there are organizations that do this work, but I think like they don't have the same infrastructure as us. Like we have the OSPCA, we have the Humane mm-hmm. Society, we have government or maybe not government funded, but like publicly funded infrastructure organizations that help with this. They don't and their numbers are so much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So the way it works, I guess I, what I learned a little bit working with PFA and uh, Hyderabad, um, People for Animals Charity, is there, it's founded by a veterinarian, uh, Dr. Lakshmi, her friends, and then uh, a few Bollywood stars, you know, uh, people that have a bit of money, some of the upper caste, obviously, um, that upper class system. But you're not allowed to treat animals on the street unless you are either a veterinarian or a paravet, uh, a technician, essentially. They even kind of, they it's not that they needed paperwork to get my approval, but Dr. Lakshmi said, you know, you couldn't just come here and do this. You would have to meet with me. And she met with me actually at a conference here in Toronto. And she knew Dr. Samad Khan, who was my first associate, who they went to school together and that's how it all worked out. But so they do have some laws, okay. but yeah, they don't have any, they don't have any sort of uh, nationwide, they don't have a humane society. They don't have an SPCA. Um, now, some of the things though, is it allows them some freedom. I mean, we've got some bureaucracies here that limit at times I want to save an animal. You know, I do a lot of work with volunteer work with the wildlife rehabbers and there are times where I sometimes treat animals and I, it's not that I cut, well, I do cut corners, but yeah. I don't worry about the paperwork. You know, I, I, I do a, a very good medicine and surgery with them, but I don't, I don't necessarily do the paperwork um, because I know it's going to cause a hassle and I just want the animal better, let it go, you know? Um, so it gives them some freedom there, but uh but cities that have any of these rescues, I mean, they're, they are literally paid for tens of thousands of dollars American 
per month coming out of these people's pockets and they still pay the workers and, and whatnot. Um, now the average pay there is, you know, maybe 10 bucks a day for the, for a technician is 10 bucks a day. A veterinarian gets about $30 a day American, but they still, they pay out of their, they pay out of their pockets. So. And gets, they get lots of donations. I mean, from, yeah. you know, foreigners yeah. and other people. I was going to say too, that a question I had for you, I remember it was a couple years ago when I first started rescuing or seeing wildlife. I remember it was a pigeon I found or a bird and I didn't know what to do yet. Now, now I know, you know, you can call these people, these people, there's different organizations. I ha- I know I'm connected more connected now. Um, but the first time I saw a bird or pigeon, I can't remember what kind of bird it was. I took it to the vet on Queen Street where I live. I was like, can you help me? This bird can't fly. And they were like, no, we, we don't treat wildlife. We're not allowed. So my question is, if I brought you a bird, would you treat it? So that's, I don't think that's true, but it's a, it's a common misconception that veterinarians here in the GTA, the greater Toronto area have. So those listening outside of Ontario, the veterinarians are are governed by the College of Veterinarians of Ontario. It's our licensing body. And so there's some requirements, some, some obviously minimum standards, very good standards. And so there's certain things we can and can't do, but I don't, I don't know where that came from. I think like I would not be allowed to advertise as a wildlife rescuer because I don't have a wildlife rehab certification. What would require you to get that? A lot of paperwork, some tests. I mean, I could do it, but um, I don't know if I'd be able to receive it though because I also don't have the facility yeah. to care for some of those animals, right? Um, now I do, I recently received certification for a mobile veterinarian office, remote location, limited to wildlife, meaning I can now go out. If someone calls me, I can go and rescue a deer that's, you know, wrapped up in like barbed wire, treat it and either then get it to a rehabber or decide that this animal is healthy enough here, let it like release it. I now have that certification, That's amazing. but I had, uh, I had to go through a process and they examined what I had and I had to show that I had the experience. But so if you were to bring me a wild animal, uh, let's not talk about raccoons. Raccoons are a little different situation with it's distemper and rabies and whatnot. Maybe. But if you were to bring me a wild animal, not only am I allowed to treat it, at least for the emergency, treat the emergency and then get it off to Shades of Hope or Tuana Wildlife or wherever. I think there's even, there's not a legal requirement. There's definitely an ethical requirement to treat that animal. I think there are some veterinarians that truly misunderstand our limitations and think they're not allowed. Right. I think there are some that have been told by their bosses, you're not allowed because the bosses are just saying, we got to pay our bills. Like we can't be taking in all these sick wild animals who's going to pay for it um and unfortunately good samaritans who bring in injured animals be it wild animals or puppies let's say that they find injured dogs aren't always willing to pay for 
the medicine, even if it's at a significant discount, you know, you get that typical, well, you're a veterinarian, you're supposed to do it for the love of the animals, which, yeah, I mean, there's an argument for that, but, you know, then there's, you got to feed your family. Um, you got to deal with situations like that too. But so I think you are allowed, but I think there's some, I think you're supposed to give it the necessary medicine and then get it off to where it should go or release it. So, and in the end, the College of Veterinarians of Ontario, some people seem to think they're afraid of them. You know, they think they're up in this ivory white tower shaking their finger and yelling at veterinarians. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're reasonable people, sometimes a little bit too anal regarding some of their rules and some of the rules don't make sense, but they're doing a good job. The reality is, is treat the animal. If, if no one complains, it's they're not they're not looking to get people in trouble. And even if you do something you're not necessarily supposed to, but you had good intentions and let's say you then screwed up, they're just going to tell you to, you know, hey, don't do it again. You know, don't do it again. Or um, here's where you screwed up. You should have done this. Like it's not, it's, it's so over overworked, but uh, yeah. Anyways. So, so you're, you're into this wildlife rescue and animal rescue since forever. Well, since India, like, so it was, I, I always liked animals, but it was, well, I had a, a real, my heart opened to animals when I met Louie, who was one of my mentor's dogs at the theater company. And I fell in love with him. And he was really the first dog that I loved. I just loved him so much. Um, when I went to India, all I saw was Louie everywhere. I looked in these dogs' eyes and I was like, that could be Louie. You know, I mm-hmm. looked at these cows, that, that could be Louie. It was like I had this awakening i'm like that just i i i I never understood animals like i never understood that they're these sentient beings and then in india i was so close to them that i just i was like oh my god these are all these amazing beautiful animals that have no voice and so i felt like it was up to me (laughs) to help them all anyway um really but um and you got suckered into the uh now the lifelong uh world of rescuing animals well like once i once it opened like something my eyes opened it just now i came back home i well okay first thing i remember driving around india once i had this awakening and just seeing like always looking on the street for dogs like looking looking like what's that is that a pile of rocks is that a dog like constantly just being on alert Hmm. and then coming home and having a little bit of PTSD from it because I like was just so anxious about, you know, am I going to see a dog? Is it going to need help? Am I going to this, that? And then it, and now it's, it's, it's wildlife. I mean, cause I, now it's constantly like, I, I mean, at least I would say twice a month, at least more in the spring, skunks, raccoons, pigeons, starlings. Cause people bring them to your house. No, I find them on my street. Oh. <laughs> I literally, cause I'm looking like I, or I'm, you know, my eyes are open to it and yeah. I just see, I'm like, you know, or I see people huddled like outside and I'm like, what's going on? You know, like animal control officer, Joanna, <laughs> like on Parkdale, you know, and, oh, there's a skunk that's not moving. I'm like, okay, okay. And I, I just spring into action and now mm-hmm. I carry, you know, I have all this stuff in my car all, all the time and. Are you rabies vaccinated? I am. Good. Before I went to India, I decided I had to get all those vaccines. I was like, I might as well just shell out for the rabies because I'm going to want to pet all the dogs. And little did I know that it it's was huge. really huge. And yeah, so it's something like 50,000 people every year in India alone die Jesus. of rabies. 
Uh, it's like 100,000 in the world every year die of rabies. 50,000 are in India, and 30,000 of those are children. And one of the first dogs I treated, it's like episode two on our India episode. You know, I was so dumb. Like, I knew the stats mm -hmm. and I understood the signs of rabies and, and I was prepared. But then I see this dog and the call is, hey, the dog might have something it's stuck in its throat. It's having trouble swallowing. I'm like, okay. And this dog lunges and tries to bite me. And I just, you know, it was a fright, frightened thing. And we end up netting it and sedating it. And I'm sticking my hand down its throat, <laughs> looking to see if I can find anything and, and what's stuck down its throat and nothing. And then the, the paravet in his, you know, his uh, uh, Hindu accent says, Trebi, sir rabies mm. like what what are you you're kidding he's like no it's rabies holy jeez <laughs> like uh oh seriously <laughs> like i just yeah. couldn't believe it right and here i was it was so dumb that i was uh that you're I was rabies doing vaccinated that. though before you went uh oh yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah well i so i got vaccinated in 93 when i first got into vet school and then I've had titers done. Yeah. yeah. I've been lucky. I've never needed a booster. And then when I went recently, right before India, I went to a, a vaccine guy and he gave me all oh, a million vaccines, yeah. right? Oral and injectable and blah, blah, blah. If there's ever a zombie plague, I'm, I'm covered. <laughs> um, just not for coronavirus. Right. And he finally said, well, when was the last time you had your titer done? And I said, oh, it was, it was like, two years ago or something. He's like, when's the last time you had a booster? Never. Right. He's like, you've never needed a booster since 1993. I said, no. He's like, you don't need one. What? He says, you're, yeah. And that's sort of what I, I was like, are you, how, really? And he's like, yeah, if you, if your titer has maintained Whoa. protection for 20 years, it was at that time, 26 years. He's like, you're good. You've got lifelong immunity. He says, I would never check. Again, you don't need to. Okay, so question for that, dogs. Mm. Why do they, obviously it's more expensive to check their titers. Yep. And it's easier just That's to get the, the vaccine. That's the answer right there. Okay. I already know the question. So she's going to, I should have let her ask the question. She's going to ask why we give vaccines yeah. every three years for rabies. So when they did a study, I think it came out 2004, American Animal Hospital Association did the study to determine if the core vaccines, primarily distemper parvo, and then rabies lasted longer mm -hmm. uh, than a year, and they expected it lasted at least three years. Um, so they, you know, they they inject a bunch of dogs. They have a bunch that aren't in, aren't vaccinated, and then they eventually test titers and also risk test them against the disease. They didn't do it with rabies. I think with okay. rabies they just did titers, and in the study. One dog lost its titer protection after three years. Hmm. So now they stopped the study because oh, okay. we don't know if you've got 10 dogs and we vaccinate them all. We don't know if one of those is one of those dogs that's going to fall off the radar right. after three years. We just assume all dogs need it after yeah. three years. It's kind of like uh, tetanus right. for us, right? What are we getting? Ten? Every. 10 years? I it was 10 years. Five, something like that. Then you need a booster if you I don't you're know, no. Yeah. Cut. And they basically say, when was the last time you had a, 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 right. your, your vaccine? And if you know it's been more than 10 years, they give you one. Right. If they, you know it's been less than 10 years, you're good. If you don't know, they just give you one. They're just like, ah, oh, we don't really know. We're just going to give you one. Right. Uh, unless you're, you know, maybe our age and you've had several uh, vaccines for it. But so we can do titers 
for dogs. And that's the future of vaccines. Hmm. I think what's going to end up happening is, and I should say we can do titers, but it is, you know, maybe for the core, just the core vaccines, distemper, parvo, and rabies, you're talking Canadian dollars, 350 bucks for the titers. And then you're going to, and you have to do it every year. Right. Right. So now you're doing a 350 bucks every year. Plus you may need the vaccine, you know, plus, plus, plus. So it ends up, you know, building up. And because rabies is a public health risk, if, right. if I titer your dog and it's rabies f- clean, it's protected against rabies. Okay, great, Joanna, I don't need to vaccinate your dog now. And then a month from now, your dog bites somebody. They're going to be like, yeah, great. But what was your dog like? yesterday right, right right like you don't know right so so understandably they say screw it we just got to do the uh every yeah. three year but um the future of vaccines i think is well i don't think i know this is going to happen soon probably in the next decade that a dog or cat will go into the vet clinic won't see a veterinarian they'll get a blood test done test goes off to the lab a couple days later they come back they see the veterinarian and the veterinarian says okay joanna fluffy doesn't need rabies Needs to stemper, wow. not lepto, not parvo, needs uh, whatever, kennel cough. So it only needs these two. And then I'm going to make up the vaccine just for your dog. So everything's going to be titered or, wow. or, or collaborated <laughs> just for the health of the animal. And it's going to become inexpensive enough that that's going to be the way that, uh, that things are going to go, which will be fantastic. Yeah, a lot of vaccines to go to India. I don't yeah. know if I would do that again, though. Because I have, I have some friends who came with us, Gaia, our, yeah, our yeah. videographer, who was actually in India doing one of those ashram yoga thingies where he didn't talk for two weeks. He was actually there and was like, great, you can, how about you stick around and you can film for us? You know, his name's Gaia. His mom's a hippie. <laughs> they, they weren't getting vaccinated and he was fine. Um, you know, he didn't get vaccinated for anything, Jesus. you know, uh, and he ate the food and didn't care about the water. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, whereas, yeah, totally. So it's, yeah. Mind you, he's got, he's got some, some cultural beauties that I don't have. You know, he's, he's, I'm a waspy white Anglo-Saxon, mm-hmm. you know, type of guy that, you know, has the digestive system of a British guy. So, you know, um, and the Brits aren't necessarily liked in India. So, um, for all the political reasons, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know how we got on this, but I don't know either, but that's interesting about the tighter thing. So you didn't go to rescue animals, but you ended up rescuing animals. That's the love of India. Like it just, it changed my life in that way. Cause now I, I never, I was always into theater and the arts and, not that I didn't like animals, it just wasn't my thing. And then after India, I mean, I still did other things in India. I studied martial arts, I studied dance, I studied theater. I taught theater for a bit in Nepal. But through all that, I was always rescuing animals. I was always meeting different people, the different networks of people in all these cities that also rescue animals, getting connected. Um, And it just became part of my journey there. And now when I got home, like I said, it's it's become part of my life here. Like, if you told me ten years ago I'd be working in a veterinary hospital, I'd say you're no way. Like I, yeah. I was allergic to dogs. Like no way. <laughs> so it was kind of uh, I guess it's not serendipitous. It was almost fate. Um, you ended up working here because you reached out to me <laughs> as a fan of the. YouTube channel. I guess you had a question about well, I was talking becoming about vet a vet. School. I was like, "What do you think about 
a 37-year-old boy <laughs> adults, yeah, yeah. to becoming a veterinarian. Yeah, uh, midlife opportunity. But you were like, it's the best job in the world. And other vets I'd spoken to, a lot of them wouldn't weren't recommending it. Yeah, it was episode one or two of this podcast that I kind of went on a bit of a rant where... In, in the U.S., the majority, the vast majority, 70, 80% of all veterinarians would discourage their children from becoming veterinarians. Now, there are some economic issues in the U.S. that are, that are different. Mm-hmm, you know, these, mm-hmm. these vets, students are graduating with $200,000 in debt, let's say, uh, whereas we have highly subsidized, almost free university here it's in, hard in to get Canada. Into, but it's hard right. to get into, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so there's some financial freedoms that we have here in Canada. But um, there's definitely a lot of vets, even here in Canada, that graduate, you know, get their dream jobs, sort of, you know, air quotes, dream job, maybe are running their practice eventually. And they're not, they're not happy. They're not satisfied. But what I've learned and what I think is that you give them what they want. They're not going to be satisfied six months later. Mm -hmm. Like I, I do find a lot of people just aren't happy with what they have instead of just being satisfied with what you already have, you know, like we're pretty blessed, like, especially in Canada. Let's we talk about so India. Like, oh, lucky. We're so, like, this is it's, the luckiest place. We won in the, the world. lottery. Oh, I mean, totally. we're the 1%. We won the lottery being born here. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we did nothing to do that. No, uh, we were just lucky. We won the know? birth lottery. Um, and at the greatest time in the world too, where, where, you know, scientific right. advancements and, and Jesus, we're doing this podcast that eventually is going to be heard in India Right, like around, the other side of the planet is going to hear this in a week, and I have some friends there that listen to it. Um, so, yeah, we're very, very lucky, and you know, I do think, I think, uh, being a veterinarian, greatest job in the world. I love it. It's not really a job anymore. It's a, you know, it's it, it is mm-hmm. part of my identity. Mm-hmm. It's who I am, and uh, and I'm proud of it. Uh, and yes, it's a lot of work, and blah 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 blah, and the the pay is decent. Uh, you know, I got no complaints with that. But clearly, I'd be doing this stuff kind of anyways. Right. You know, I volunteer and, and go to India and pay for it myself or Greece or wherever I've gone or volunteer just once a week here and at Shades of Hope. But I think if I was, uh, you know, that sort of uh, age-old story of, hey, if I was a garbage man, yeah. I would be happy. I would still be happy because, you know, I would find something else to challenge me. Or I like, so I think a lot of it is the... Mm. the It's almost a North American, um, or it's a, it's not a North American. It's a, a, uh, what's it, that first world problem. Yeah, definitely. It's a first world complaint. Absolutely. You know, uh, oh, I don't like my job. Why? Uh, You know, the clients complain too much. Okay. Yeah. Like you go home to a large screen TV and a family that loves you. And yeah, your teenager thinks you're a pain in the ass, but who cares? Like, you know, like totally. you're going to live till you're 85, Totally, probably a hundred these days. Like, it, so anyways, but anyways, yes, I encourage you to be a veterinarian or well, which also pursue it. brings me back to India. Um, you know, well, there's two things I want to say. One is that a lot of, I think a lot of parents would discourage their kids from doing what they did. Like if I had a kid and they were like, oh, should I become an actor? I'd say, no, like don't do, you know, so you sort of, you don't necessarily always recommend what you've decided Mm. to do to your kid because you've seen how hard it is anyway. But then one thing about India and you mentioned it is like, they're so joyful and I, I could be 
maybe I'm talking cliche and, you know, generalizing, mm. but like, there's just something about a lot of the people I met. They're, they're lovely and warm and everyone's inviting you to come home, come to their house. I'll cook oh you gosh. a meal, everybody. And I know here I think about it. Like I have a friend from out of town. Uh, oh, I, I guess I could meet you at a coffee shop. Like, you know, in India, it's like, no, you come and you sleep in my bed. Mm-hmm. You sleep in my bed. I sleep on the couch. I will feed you. There's no questions. Yeah. You know, guest is God there. Mm-hmm. So that's, the mentality is so different. And I think. And they're so happy to do it. <sighs> they're so happy to do yeah. it. Regardless of their religion, regardless of which of their thousands of gods they yeah. prefer to, uh, I guess that's for the Hindu religion. Um, but, you know, like not all of them are Hindu there. There's a lot of Muslims, Hindu, Christians, Buddhists, not too many atheists in India. Maybe says something right. about being atheist, yeah. right? Pretty amazing place. And it opened my eyes to how beautiful people are uh, inside and the, the kindness and how lucky we are. Now, so far, and, and as far as travel again, Greece, Jamaica, Egypt, and India. India is the only place that was like that. Mm-hmm. In uh, Egypt was similar as far as the culture and the religion and the need, the poverty and the the sort of dual sides of society. That definitely rich and poor in Egypt and the same in India. But at least in India, the upper caste, the the rich, they're they're, they're basically royalty without yeah. there being you know them being uh, royal. They honestly cared about the lower caste. It made me uncomfortable. I didn't quite understand it, but by the end of the, the the time there, and then comparing it to Egypt, I realized at least the people I uh, worked with from either group, let's say, cared and respected each other differently. But they they like the upper class gave a shit about the lower class, you know, uh, and they would help them at least when they you know to a point. They would help them when they could. They certainly could have donated a lot more money and they could have, you know, spread the wealth. But whereas when I was in Egypt, like some of the the people working for the dog rescue, which was run by a, a, a human physician by trade, I don't think she actually did the work, but very rich and upper class. Like she was letting these guys walk around in sandaled shoes with there being dog shit everywhere and going down without boots on into the sump pump sewer to clean it up. And it was basically months of shit that was in there. And I was telling her like, this is so, these guys are going to get hook. They've already, I'm sure got hookworm and whipworm and they're going to get infections. And, and she just kind of, she's like, uh, they're not like that. They don't, you know, I can't even get them to wash their hands. Well, tell them to. I mean, you're their boss, you pay their, you pay, say you have to wear these boots or else. And even if they don't want to protect themselves because they don't understand, make them do it. Even if they don't, it's like a child, right? You take care of a child, even if they don't understand. I didn't get that in India. You know, there's definitely some weirdness where you see people on one side, there's a BMW, Porsche, whatever, uh, BMW, Mercedes uh, car dealership. And 200 yards down the street, there's a, a city dump yeah. and there are people looking for food. You know, there are little children climbing around in the piles of garbage. But there at least wasn't that 
for the the ones you worked with, let's say at PFA, they they really were a family and they really did care about each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, India was uh, was very special. Um, and I will be going back and it, and it and it and if I never do, it still made me a better person. Totally, and I think I think too like a big question people would ask me is like, what about the people? You know, you're, you care so much about the animals. What about the people? And that's, it's true. And, you know, we we all pick our battles and we, we do what affects us, moves us somehow and pulls at our heartstrings. And of course the people like seeing that and the poverty and the, it's, 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 it's very sad, but that would also be an argument. Like, why don't they have infrastructure for that? Cause they need to also first deal with their people. Like animals are not a priority there. It's interesting though. And I've had some people say some pretty nasty things to me, Mm. uh, in comments on my YouTube channel, especially the ones where I was taking care of the monkey tree rats or street. What do they call them? Tree rats, something like that. Mm. Tree rats, I think. Um, and you know, there's often comments about, you know, you and them, meaning the, the animal rescue spend all this money taking care of these animals. What about, what about the people that are there? There's so much poverty. Yeah. Okay, well, first of all, how come no one who lives there says that? Like the the poor people, quote unquote poor people in India, the people that were really struggling were really happy to huh. see what we were doing. You know, and again, the guy would beg for money to buy his biscuits for breakfast and then give some to the dog. Not his dog, just a dog. The people that needed it still recognize because I think in India they they just recognize the value of life right. regardless of of the species. But I I had some fun communicating or commenting back, replying back to some of these people on YouTube, and it was you know they were calling me different names and talking about oh. my fancy sunglasses and whatnot, which they didn't realize were broken, you know, and I've had for years and whatever. But but I, I was like, well you know, okay, yeah, there's definitely some point and, you know, I volunteered and, 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 you know, I donated and et cetera, et cetera. But where are you, where are you complaining? Where are you commenting at this moment? Are you in India? This is what I said. You're probably sitting in your first class home watching this video under air condition with a full fridge on your smartphone or your tablet or your PC and telling me that I that I am wasting money taking care of these monkeys, yeah. at least I went there, right? And most of the responses were "fuck you, asshole." <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> oh, like God. you know, you know, stuff like that. And it was like, all right, okay, you know, there you go. They're gonna find a problem with everything. Yeah, so it's just like you know, yes, the, the, there's definitely some stuff you can do to help out us humans, but that doesn't, you know, there should be some love to be able to sh- be shared around wherever. And if I choose to spend X amount of my time helping animals, you know, if the worst thing you're going to do is say that I should have been doing it with people. Okay. But it's your thing too. You're, you're a veterinarian. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is your life. This is your, your path. And I guess the thing is, 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 and we can wrap this up is anyone who complains like that, it would be legit if they were complaining like that and they were spending, Mm -hmm. you know, equal or more time taking care of people. But it, you don't get that. You know, the people that are volunteering at the soup kitchens aren't bitching <laughs> at me for volunteering with animal rescues. They're like, oh, my God, isn't yeah. it great to volunteer? Yeah. You know, and 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 they're not going to complain about the person who's giving free music lessons to children or the, right. you know, whatever the volunteer is. They're just happy that you're volunteering. It's the 
generally, I think, it's the people that are pissed at their life,、mm. whatever their job is, pissed at their situation. They don't realize how lucky they are. And instead of going out and volunteering and helping, or instead of lifting themselves up somehow, they're going to find the problem with what I did or what you did when it didn't affect them at all. You know, so just shut your mouth and. Hit Prescription like, doctor、uh, order. Go to India. Like, go do something. Yeah, off totally. Your couch. And you'll、See. never. Yeah, you'll you'll never complain again、no. because you won't even remember who I am or who you are, Joanna. Like they're gonna. They're not even going to remember complaining about what we, we did because they're going to see and they're going to enjoy helping out wherever they're helping out, right? So that's the situation. But do you plan to go back? I I've been trying to go back since I came home. My plan was when I got home, or when I moved back to Canada in 2017, I had plans to go back. I had this theater project I was committed to. I ended up. Uh, getting a dog from Nepal、um, and keeping him, and I fostered him when I was in Nepal. He was paralyzed. Now he walks, and so this whole story—that's another makes for another episode. But I ended up keeping him, and I've been waiting for the moment where I could go back to India when I have somewhere for him to be. If I go for a couple months, so I haven't come to that point yet. And then COVID happened, so I'm hoping that in the next year, God willing. You know, COVID's under control. Vaccinations that I could go back because I'm I, I miss it. Like I I miss it so much, and I'm just can't wait to go back and see all the amazing people. I'm there. right there beside you. Give me the vaccine as quick as I、yeah. can, just so I can I travel. Just it, so I can travel, and so I can you know see my friends and make new ones and and experience life and、uh, realize how lucky we all are. Totally. Perfect. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much.、This、we will、so、have、fun. you back, and、uh, yeah, let's hope、uh, let's hope we get to travel、Ugh. soon. Yeah,、uh, sooner rather than later. But until then, everyone stay safe, be kind to animals, and、uh, give your local veterinarian a hug from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. Bye. -bye.